Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of The Cosmic Circle, the official podcast of The Cosmic Circus, where we discuss everything nerdy in the entire cosmos. On today's episode, we will be discussing the journey to Guardians of the Galaxy 3. My name is Brian Kitson, head writer at The Cosmic Circus, and joining me today are Isla Ruby and Anthony Flagg. How are we doing today? Hi, I'm doing great. I'm Isla Ruby, and I'm so happy to be here. Hey, y'all, it's Anthony. I'm enjoying this beautiful weather and this beautiful time with my dear friends. It's always a good time when the three of us can get together and talk um, all things Marvel. And so we're excited about this one because we do have a big movie coming up at the beginning of May mm-hmm. with Guardians 3, and it feels like it's been a long time coming. So I'm going to start off with a very strong question from me and our friend Vic. Who is your favorite <laughs> Guardian? And yes, there is a right answer. And you will get shame just a little bit if you don't pick the right answer. Not not yeah. completely, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tease you a bit. So I who wanna wants to go first with that one? I want to add on that Brian warned us about this question. And I feel like the pressure has been, you know, on us for the week to have the right answer ahead of this. It's been literally almost all week that I hinted that this question was coming and that there have you really had to think about well, who was going to be your favorite guardian. So. So for a lot of these questions, I have an answer for the first movie and the second movie. So you'll have to, you know, embrace that. So for the first movie, Peter, hands down, easy. For the second movie, Groot. Okay. Okay. Why Peter and then why Groot? Because the story always started with Peter. I mean, it's forming around him, what he's doing, his mission, uh, and, and the dance moves. Come on now. <laughs> and then in the second movie, Groot, because his attitude towards things was just funny to me. You know, like just typical mm-hmm. kid, teenager stuff. And uh, seeing him grow after the sacrifice he made in the first one was like really cool. So I love Groot. Okay, Ayla, it's your turn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to agree with Red and say that I in the first movie, I really liked Peter. Um, I think there's like a certain charm of the character. And it's definitely, you know, the dancing helps and the soundtrack helps. And it's hard not to um, to root for him on his journey. Um, otherwise, I think I really like Nebula because she's been okay. through a lot of stuff. Um, and she's kind of very dry isn't the right word, but like very sarcastic. And um, mm-hmm. she's a badass, which is also cool. So, yeah, Nebula. Brian, what about you? What's the right answer? Wait, I have okay. a question. Are we going to also include the, the holiday special? Because then for the holiday special, oh. I also want to add Mantis. Yeah. Because that's yeah. kind of an easy one. But go ahead, Brian. You, you know what's interesting was that my follow-up question was, does it change from the film? But the two of you already answered that. Okay. <laughs> the, 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 the jig is done here. There is no right answer other than the fact that this is going in your files that I keep on each one of you. You have and notebooks. It's, <laughs> it's going to be psychoanalyzed just a little bit. Oh, but no. I actually um, agree with two of Reds. Now, I will say that Groot for the number volume two and Mantis for the holiday special. I don't agree. Can I guess with the, the first two- one? Can I guess? Sure, go ahead. Go ahead. Gamora. Gamora. Ooh. Interesting. Interesting. Is it? Am um, I right? No, no. Ugh. It's going to be Groot. It's going to be Groot. Groot in the first movie, he is the the best character because he's just so lovable and unexpectedly lovable in that film. And he just gets more lovable in every single project we see him in. I don't want a teenage kid, but I would take a teenage Groot any day. So 
Um, that unfortunately is the right answer from my book. But there's you both passed the test for different reasons. I'll psychoanalyze this later, I promise. Well, if you I have a question about that. If you like Groot, did you watch the Groot shorts? Because I didn't see them. He wrote the review, remember? <laughs> oh no, I, I forgot. <laughs> It's been a while. That was last summer. Things have happened since then. So I I don't remember. I watched them multiple times the first day. And it's one of my nephew's favorite to watch, my Mm four-year-old nephew. So we we watch them frequently um, because they're so funny. I'm so excited that there's going to be more of them. Why Mm -hmm. why not? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Season two is coming. Well, well, now you know. Has it been officially announced? Are Are we announcing it here that it's... Uh, we, we know things uh well so on to volume one <laughs> we're gonna leave it at that um so guardians volume one as we are preemptive you know we're post uh movie calling it because at the times it was just guardians of the galaxy um it came out in 2014 which was the beginning of phase two or like the mid of phase two mm-hmm. so my first question for you both about this is is this the first venture into the cosmic Marvel Cinematic Universe, or are we counting Thor? I kind of want to know what you two think. So, Isla, I'm going to start with you. Is this the first cosmic MCU film, or is Thor does Thor count be, being gonna, what it is? I'm going to say Thor doesn't count because Thor early on feels very much, and I think you know, with the um, with the actors too, it feels like very like Shakespearean, like periody, but you know guardians of the galaxy has space pirates and like that that's a hallmark of really like you know the cosmic and in in space thing like it reminds me of um just like star trek star wars all those cool things like it feels like it's in space and therefore cosmic um you can't go wrong with space pirates i'm sorry I do want to say too that we had Thor the Dark World the second one before this film too so Mm -hmm. I guess you could count that as a space one if you want to though it does feel very earthbound besides Asgard but Anthony what about you what you thinking absolutely it was the first cosmic one it really was just thinking about it because you had planet hopping you had all sorts of alien creatures which yeah Mm -hmm. you've had some like in the first Avengers but they were just the cannon fodder for for mm-hmm. for Loki. And you also got to explore like parts where you know Peter was interacting with other species and going on to planets where there was other things. Like what really solidifies this answer for me is the introduction of the Nova Corps in that movie. Mm-hmm. Like that right there was like, okay, we're in space, we're out there, we're doing the thing. And with the threat of being between this, you know, the Cree. Thanos, it was out there. It was not Earthbound at all, minus the first, what, five minutes before Peter takes off? Right. No, I think totally her. Nowhere, too, I think is another really like big hallmark yes. of of cosmic and, and space type movies, right? This place mm-hmm. where you like, you know, this kind of black market where you go to sell your stuff if you're a space pirate or space bounty hunter. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just feels very cosmic to me. Um, and speaking I think, of nowhere, like think about it, you have the talking dog and mm-hmm. other stuff there, like Cosmos. Sorry, it, it it was it was always poised to be the first one. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so this film, when it came out, I will agree, was kind of the first venture into the cosmic MCU. Um, it was also a film 
that was pretty standard in the way it was presented. A ragtag, t- a ragtag team come together. Try saying that five times fast. <laughs> um, they're kind of like the Avengers, but they're they're less functional. They're they're more dysfunctional in the you know the fact that they all have very selfish motivations at first. Are you saying the trying... Avengers are functional? Come on now. <laughs> yeah, they, they have back their to own that first issues. movie. That was something. Okay, I'll give you that. But <laughs> they are not as dysfunctional, I should say, because they all, I guess, don't have very selfish motivations and uh, they're not meant to be nearly as funny, I guess, is what I was looking for. Um, but why does this team work for you? Does it work for you? Or does it did, does it not? Start with you, Red. Okay. No, it works for me because there's variety. You, you, you know, I'm thinking of it as a video gamer's point of view, it's like you've got somebody who can do range stuff you got your assassin who can do close up and you got peter that's got a variety of gadgets and and ability to fight then you got your tank in the form of Groot who can just do all that and 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 then drax to to cap it off you also have the genius in the form of rocket who's building stuff and putting things together like what are you doing well i'm assembling a bomb real quick like you're doing what inside of an enclosed space it makes it more interesting Drex no, kind of gives me some tank vibes too. I'm thinking of the mm-hmm. scene where he's in the holiday special where the, the Hollywood cops are like just shooting at him and he's just like saying it tickles. That seems very, <laughs> very tankish. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I think when you think about it that way, you thought video games, my head goes to Dungeons and Dragons where you have all the different <laughs> components of the team and they all are brought together, not usually um, of the most honorable ways mm-hmm. and um they end up being a functional team at the end well the avengers um, the avengers are brought together with honorable ways um mm-hmm. they all have like they you know they steve rogers doesn't want to to get rich right steve rogers wants to mm-hmm. take care of the world they all have this sense of honor so they don't have they don't have to grow into that whereas the guardians of the galaxy all eventually have to grow to um grow to work together, grow to put aside some of their personal motivations and grow into this heroic role. They're not, mm-hmm. they don't, they don't initially come by being a hero, honestly. Absolutely. So what about this film? Did you like and dislike, you know, cause there was a lot of things that went well, honestly, I, it's been a while since I've watched, I can't think of a thing that I, re- I really disliked about the film. I remember watching this obsessively when it first came out on disc um, cause yes, I still collect them all on disc <laughs> and, um, it was so funny to me. And I think that it really was, it was really the, one of the first times that comedy was put forth in the MCU in like a, such a, um, purposeful way. Um, so I liked that, that it was very comedic. I liked the, you know, everything about it, the Nova core. I wish that they would still do more with that. I know that hopefully we're getting a Nova series or special sometime soon but what do we like and what do we not like about this film well i'll just tell you now there's hardly anything i don't like about guardians of the galaxy volume one you know Mm -hmm. how you have like your comfort food like a southern fried chicken with mashed potatoes and corn on the side that's what guardians of the galaxy is to me if i'm having like a "Eh," day weather sucks and I, i need to cheer up i put that movie on i've watched it more than any other one i can think of um and that's high praise that's high praise if if you've ever looked on like on the discord in some of the rankings mm-hmm. guardians always sits like in the top five for me and i understand a lot of people don't like it because the characterization that they change with peter drax all that 
But for me, since I went into it, not knowing the characters, I fell in love immediately. And of course it's cheating. You have some of the best music soundtracks. Like I was in right from the beginning, you're right there. And then you, as you progress, you get other songs, which I know it's another question down the road. So I'm not going to dwell on that, but I was sold. And it was funny. Cause like, I'm like, James Gunn, why does that sound familiar? Scooby-Doo? What? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I walked out of that one and I was like, that's probably the most enjoyable film I've seen in, in, in a while. It, everything hit for me. Mm-hmm. It, I, you know, I totally agree with that. And especially the idea that it's comfort, um, like comfort food. There's like, I think in it, it does have a lot to do with the soundtrack, right? I, I bought the CD and when, you know, I listened to the CD in my car because I listened to CDs just because it's so happy and just so catchy and, and all of that. Um, and I think the movie really, it's just got a lot of heart and I don't know how else to describe it. They just have, you know, there are a lot of moments that, um, like you, you just want to like the characters. You just want to like help them. You just want them to do good. Mm -hmm. Um, and I really like, and I know, like you said, that people have issues with it because the characters are not exactly the same as they are in the comic books. But I mean, you run that risk with any adaptation, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. books or comic books are different than what you have on film. So I'm personally okay with that. I thought of you one know, tiny little thing I didn't like, though, now that, I, now that I'm sorry to cut you off, Ryan, but it's, I, I didn't have any um, knowledge about the Cree beforehand mm-hmm. and they make him this threat but they don't really ever elaborate on that and they that was like one thing that I, I walked out of there kind of confused with I'm like I don't understand why these guys are so bad I understand they were like extremists but like they could have used an opportunity to elaborate a little bit and say why these guys are so bad mm-hmm. and why these people are worried about them that was, that's about the only gaff for me no I was I was honestly going to agree and say that they other than, um, oh my gosh, who's the guy with the hammer? Ronan. Oh, Ronan. R- Ronan. Um, besides him, the rest of them are just, there's not a lot, they're not fleshed out. And even something in Captain Marvel is that they're not super fleshed out. They're a little more fleshed out, but they're still left to be desired. And I think hopefully we're going to get some of that as we go along. Um, mentioning about, you know, you said about buying the, the soundtrack, Isla on CD. I think there was something unif- that was unifying about that album um, at the time that of the second film, which we're going to talk about in a second. Um, my my ex at the time, he uh, bought it on vinyl and he did it wasn't a Marvel guy, but he bought the he was like, this is such a fantastic album. Mm-hmm. He bought the first one and the second one, I'm pretty sure together in like a pack and he listened to it all the time. And Marvel was my thing. But that was something that that music was reminiscent of like. You know, I grew up, I think we all grew up hearing those songs, even though they were maybe before our time and stuff. And um, they were just, I don't know, it was very classic and it helps to paint that film in such a, like a nostalgic light with it being something so new. Um, and I think it helps to drive home the fact too about this film being about family, which the second one drives home even more. You know, like when Groot um, dies in the first film, spoiler alert, someone has yeah. seen it before 20, 20, 2014. Um, it's been 11 years, right? No. Yeah. yeah. Nine. 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 Nine years. But still, like, you know, it was all about, you know, we are group and we're a family. And so I think that, like, it kind of rem- is very reminiscent of, like, that family-like um, atmosphere together. 
So final question for volume one. This was the first one to really kind of showcase Thanos in a bigger capacity. He was kind of the, the man behind the curtain that we saw a few more times, especially with Ronan. Um, it wasn't um, Josh Brolin from the rest of the films um, at that time, I'm pretty sure, right? That was a different actor. Um, was it the right call to introduce him in this film? Did it feel like it was the connected tissue it needed to the rest of the MCU? Did it feel like... Um, Perhaps it should have been in a different film that was more connected to the overarching um, storyline. What are we thinking? Are we not counting the Avengers post credits? But th- that was one just like the the post credit sting. I was saying like this one was a bigger capacity because he actually has a few scenes yeah. throughout the film. No, no, you're right. You're right. That's why. That's why I asked. Yeah, no, I think it was great because you know it's always fun when you see like oh there's this big threat without knowing there's an even bigger threat that's bankrolling mm-hmm. it like. Thanos handed him an infinity stone and said, all right, here, dude, I'm going to help you, but you got to help me. And to see like Ronan was terrifying. And to know there was somebody that Ronan was, well, not really, not really scared of, but should have been. That was a <laughs> hell of a entrance like mm-hmm. early on. Cause we didn't really get to see Thanos more until, um, well, until he showed up in infinity War, truly. So this was the, the moment. And it was very well capped off by how much effort it took to take out Ronan. They had to use an infinity stone to, to take him out. So how mm-hmm. much of more of a threat could Thanos be if he's the one that supplied that? Mm-hmm. I think so. I think Thanos is in like two scenes in this movie, if I remember right, but I might be confused. Um, and I think, I think it's a testament to James Gunn's storytelling because like you said, like Ronan is the big bad of this movie, right? He's the guy that, you know, that the guardians are up against essentially. And yet, you know, he, he's going to destroy Xandar and all these other things yet. He's like, he's got these issues with Thanos and Thanos is the truly scary one. And I think it's, um, you know, if you sit and think about it and from storytelling, you know, he effectively created this like sense of unease. So I think he did a good job with that. Couldn't agree more. Um, Okay. So Guardians of the, the Galaxy Volume 2 came out three years later. Um, at this point, there we had just had Doctor Strange, and this was right before Spider-Man Homecoming. I had to look these up because I could not remember where they came out, and it was mm-hmm. like a mental flashback a little bit of like what this era was. Mm-hmm. Um, of, of this film, this, this story was a little more family-centric. Um, at least I, that's how I kind of always view it. You know, we have Star-Lord and Ego, Star-Lord and Yandu, Gamora and Nebula, Groot and Rocket. Of these relationships and these dynamics that we saw develop throughout this film, which one did you like the best? Or and also, I guess, which one didn't work for you? We'll start with you, Isla. So I thought that, I, I agree, this was definitely more family-centered. And I really liked... Um, like the almost adoptive family aspect, right? Because there's Yandu and Peter and mm-hmm. you're you're kind of learning a little bit more about their relationship and eventually Yandu sacrifices himself for Peter. And I think that's very like a fatherly thing to do. And that's something that, um, that Peter's real father, the celestial would never do. So I think I really liked that. And I really liked seeing the um, kind of the ebbs and flows of that relationship between Peter and Yandu. And then of course the scene at the end um, or close to the end where, you know, Yandu's funeral is there with all the Ravagers. Like, how, how can you not cry at that? Because I know I did. It was beautiful. With the song Father and Son playing, yep. you're like, 
Exactly. <laughs> How could you not? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about you, Anthony? Um, I actually found more interesting the relationship between Peter and Gamora, but only mm-hmm. in the sense because she instantly saw through the facade. Like she already kind of felt weird about the whole thing with Ego. And she was even trying to warn him. And, and he, he says something to the effect of, I finally found my family. And she stops, like cocks her head a little bit to the side and looks at him like, I thought you already found your family. Like the, the, the I don't want to say disrespect, but the, the hurt or whatever you want to use for the word here of him saying that, declaring it in front of her after the ending to the first movie where, you know, we are group, we are a family. It, it was interesting because he had it for her, you know, instantly. He, he liked her and through that movie, the same thing as well. So for him to make a comment like that in front and to her was, was something else. Because as we progressed in Infinity War and Endgame, you can see how much Peter really loved Gamora. So for him to say that early on, that, that stayed with me for a long time. That's a fantastic takeaway. I guess I... I need to rewatch that film because I don't think I remember that scene very well. But that, I think that showcases a lot about the found family that Isla you were talking about. Mm-hmm. It's not about um, blood with the Guardians, right? Is there ones that we didn't like? Hmm. Uh, I didn't like Drax's relationship with Mantis, where he was being kind of a jerk sure you know but it it didn't i wasn't like oh my god i can't believe this but i'm like this shtick is getting a little old of him calling her ugly and undesirable and stuff like we don't mm-hmm. need that in media i think they realize that too because i think drax is um just how he approaches uh approaches mantis is totally different in the holiday special and i hope that they in the new movie that that continues because it's just you know, not, not such a, like, not such a sexist dynamic. It's like, just, it's still funny. It's just, you know, not, not cruel. It's just a jerk. And yeah. Like, it's, and it's overdone. I think is what I didn't like. Like he kept doing it. No, that's fair. That one definitely um, can leave a bad taste in the mouth. I have to say that Starlord and Ego was the one that really, I didn't care for the most because as a psychologist, I can, understand individuals who are looking for their family tend to um tend sacrifice a lot and forget a lot of things but it was just so blatantly obvious that he was the villain and i was like you know peter come on dude like (laughs) snap out of it i have to say my favorite though was gamora and nebula because i think that they have such an interesting dynamic Mm -hmm. of like the two sisters who you know one is loved and one isn't and how that really played out in the the cycles of abuse they both had different ways by having such an abusive father and how by the end of this film they're just like we don't want to fight anymore like they Mm -hmm. were they were tired and like that was really interesting for me and so that one is one of my favorites of this film and it's such a believable relationship too right like that that sibling relationship where like there's one that's the favorite so-called and then one that um is pitted against you know the other it's kind of something that um i think had a lot of relatability in the movie and mm-hmm. i say this is an only child so I, I assume that this you know had a lot of relatability oh absolutely yeah yeah absolutely 
Um, okay, this film also had Baby Groot, which was a big take from uh, the big Groot we got in the first film. Um, and I think we already all declared that he's the best one, so I think that's enough said about Baby Groot. Unless there's anything you want to say about him being adorable, um, maybe the scene where he's pushing the button still to this day makes me laugh until I cry. That one um, was good. I think Baby Groot had to have inspired um, maybe Baby Yoda. Baby Grogu, Grogu, yeah, because um, just like some somebody in marketing maybe saw that and thought just think of the merchandise easily oh, i also absolutely. liked um when they were sending Groot to go find all the different the eyeball and stuff and he kept coming back with the most random stuff that i really like that just you know like a little yes. kid would do that you're like hey bring me the screwdriver and then they bring you you know like a phillips and you're looking for a flat and like bring me that bring me a hammer instead like you know i could see that happening in real life too no and that was what was so interesting too about like the rock and the Groot was because rocket is essentially his father but he's like also just this like grumpy raccoon and he doesn't know how to be a father but he's learning he's learning patience by having this baby child run around Mm -hmm. so that makes it super interesting can i just say Um, that rocket is one of the most relatable characters in real life (laughs) like just in attitude wise like you know oh we're screwed like oh this is going you know like Mm -hmm. i've been around those people and i'm like you remind me of rocket luckily you don't have guns um the props to bradley cooper for playing the sassiest raccoon in the galaxy has he ever showed up to a marvel thing i don't know if you guys know this offhand like a premiere or anything because i have to imagine the reception would be interesting Hmm. i want to say yes but now i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna google it (laughs) bradley cooper marvel premieres I want to say Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. No, he's at Endgame. Endgame, okay. Okay. And he's at the first one. Okay. Yeah, so he shows up. I mean, I think that they did very interesting things with him and with Groot. Like, I know Vin Diesel actually wore, like, stilts in the first film to record his lines. Oh. (laughs) Like, if you watch the behind the scenes on the disc, they actually show you, and he's, like, 10 feet tall doing the Groot ones. Like, they're... James, again, I think this is part of James Gunn. James Gunn picks people that are very good at what they do, but he also picks, he also pushes people to be the best that they can be in these roles. Um, which is why we got things like Vin Diesel playing both Big Groot and Baby Groot and Rocket <laughs> being the biggest, awesomest raccoon ever. And I hope that he lives to the next one, which we'll talk about when we get there. Um, anything else about Guardians Volume 2 before we move on to Infinity War that stuck out to you or like, or like a a good memory, a bad memory of this film that you feel like, oh, I got to talk about this. I have one. I, I like the fact that they went back and showed Meredith, you know, Peter's mm-hmm. mom, and and and, and mm-hmm. kind of tied it back. It's like how how she died. It, it was an account of ego doing it because he was trying to move forward with this plan. I really like that. Mm-hmm. There's one image, well, I guess scene from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy two that kind of sticks out, and that's you know, I guess the planet with all the skeletons. Um, that's just creepy, and I I enjoy that set design. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, okay, so Infinity War was the first Guardian films not directed. Well, I shouldn't say first film of the Guardians, but the first film that had the Guardians in it that wasn't directed by James Gunn. Mm-hmm. Um, though I was hoping that maybe one of you two knew if this was correct. I believe he wrote the lines for them, in for the script, or like he had some inputs. 
in that um I feel like I, I heard this somewhere. I could be completely making this up. And for that, I do apologize. I see Isla's typing away. So. Yeah, sorry. I'm no. I'm looking it up now in Google. I, I just feel like there was something about him having some kind of input or some say or working with the Russo brothers in some capacity. Um, but it, overall, it was the first film that wasn't directed by James Gunn that featured them. Um, in any in any capacity so so I can confirm that he did write the lines for Infinity War for the Guardians yes. so you were correct on that but he didn't write it for Thor um, which we'll okay. talk about later um, he okay. was just consulted but he did write Infinity War okay so I guess this maybe kind of answers the first question but like did you feel there was a difference to the Guardians or did they remain consistent I thought they were pretty consistent and I feel like that's why I knew James Gunn wrote them because I was fact checking them uh, I was I was I was at the time thinking like, are they going to feel different? We haven't seen them written by anyone else, and overall they kind of felt very um, genuine to their characters. Um, Anthony, what do you think? Do you feel like they were genuine and consistent, or do you feel like they felt different than their past iterations? No, it was absolutely spot on. Um, think about the introduction. How do we see them flying through space, listening to music, jamming, having a little sesh there together, and then guess what? ding, 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 alerts going off. And, and the first thing that comes to Peter's mind, is like, hey, we're going to get paid, you know? And then <laughs> everyone else has to be like, well, okay, okay, like, yes, but we need to, you know, like do the right thing. So just right there, I was like, we're starting off great. Um, and, and then as we progress, you know, he's spending time with Thor mm -hmm. and Thor shows up and, and it throws the balance because now the power dynamic has shifted away from Peter, who's the captain, even though he's arguing with Rocket about it the whole time. And, uh, and, and then the only thing that I felt a little off, but it, I understand for the sake of the story, it had to happen was them separating. But even then in Guardians of the Galaxy, Galaxy Volume 2, they did the same thing. Rocket, Mantis, and Drax or whatever went and did something else. And, and Peter and Gamora, and I can't even remember at this point, but they, they were on Ego's planet doing their thing. Um, and, and Peter... Peter's arrogance and emotion getting the best of him mm. and, and allowing Thanos to slip the gauntlet back on was insanely accurate for me of, of how he would have reacted because it's not the first time we've seen grief overtake him. Mm -hmm. he, he did the exact same thing when he found out about his mom towards ego. And now when he found out Thanos killed the love of his life, that was his own, that was Thanos's daughter. That reaction was completely warranted. Was it dumb? Of course, he cost the, you know, the world everything, but in line with his actions, feelings, it was perfect. It was totally in line with his character. And, you know, you mentioned it earlier, that scene between um, him and Gamora, like he, he earned all of those feelings and earned that arc where, you know, where he, he was going to like, let that happen. Um, I think the characters, I, I do think they're consistent with, within in an infinity war i think um you can tell james gunn you know wrote them and think there's a lot of thought in them um i think that there are i want to say like it, the stakes are almost elevated though because they're playing like the, the guardians are like these comedic characters with, you know but with some serious moments whereas thor and some of the other characters are are just more serious characters with like fewer comedic moments and i think there's a scene that just sticks out to me where thor and rocket are are chatting basically about everything that's happened 
and rocket is like you know are you are you ready for this can you do this or i think it's infinity war not um not the next one um and thor you know it's a dramatic moment for thor right thor has lost everything and i just think that that is very um like that's very serious like that that moment mm -hmm. compared to some of the other guardians stuff so i think you know, I think I think they are in some ways reacting to the seriousness of the situation in the movie that they're in. Yeah, no, absolutely. They do feel very consistent. Um, one of the things that remains consistent from maybe the past films, again, is this this family dynamic, mm -hmm. um, which we see the struggle between Peter and Gamora with having to kill her if it comes down to it. And he struggles with that. Um, and then Gamora and Nebula with Thanos being their adoptive father. Um, and one scene that always sticks out to me, every time I watch it, I still get goosebumps. I'm actually getting the mess and we're talking about it, is the scene where Gamora tries to be very strong against Thanos, and then they see Nebula. And the moment that Nebula starts getting tortured, she 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 you know she spills the beans. And there's just this tortured look of I've, you know, I've given up the 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 universe for my sister but I, I i can't nobody could expect me to do anything else and that look that she has as she's watching nebula just gets me every time because it's just there's so much emotion and and um and dynamics shoved into that small scene um i don't know that just always stuck out to me for anyone who says a comic book movie it you know, doesn't have good acting, doesn't have good um, storytelling. Like, look at that moment, because even under the prosthetics, even under all the makeup, like they, they telegraphed this very human, this this feeling that had such an impact on you and on the audience. So I think, you know, just, you know, that's, again, a testament to how great it is. Was there any uh, Guardians moment from this film that stuck out to you specifically that maybe... Um, kind of like that for me. But was there anything about this film that really impacted you in a in a in a big way, or that like was just so funny that it always sticks out in your in your mind? Are we talking the second one? No, Infinity, Infinity War. War. Infinity War. Sorry. Um, the who is Gamora? What is Gamora? Nah, I did like the interaction between them and Doctor Strange and all that when they're like, "What master do you serve?" Like, what am I supposed to say? Jesus Christ. Like that part does make me laugh every mm -hmm. time just because, you know, they're like, I'm from Missouri. Yeah, that's on Earth, dipshit. And like, mm -hmm. just, just Peter being blatantly dumb, but unintentionally. And then them interacting with other humans. And, and I'll, this, okay, I do have something that sticks out to me. Every time they're like, you know, Thor? Yeah, tall guy, blonde, not that good looking. And Peter's like, like <laughs> P Peter Parker sorry let me specify spider-man <laughs> looks at peter quill and it's like what like strong reaction when he said not that good looking as if that was necessary but it was great i think that for me the scene or the moment where um we learn about gunmore's backstory where she's this little girl and mm -hmm. thanos you know basically takes her under his wing after destroying her people and her family is um sticks out to me because that just is kind of I think that really like shows what a bad dude mm -hmm. that Thanos is not I mean we've seen him destroy countless species and all of that too but just like that very personal moment like wow he sucks mm -hmm. 
You know, one moment that sticks out even to this day as well is the moment in the end where Groot gets dusted and he's crying out to Rocket. Mm-hmm. And I cry every time. And as Lizzie said the other week, but Brian, you always cry. And I said, oh. that's true. But that scene is just so emotional. I think that it leads into a huge arc for both Rocket and Nebula come Endgame because they've lost every part of their family. Everybody's either dead or dusted. Um, what did we like about the, their storylines in Endgame? And do we feel that, hum- that Nebula, Nebula was very humanized by that point? Um, especially in that opening scene with um, Tony Stark in the ship, I think it was a big moment for her. But what were our thoughts on their storylines and in, in, through Endgame? I want to jump real quick back to what you okay. just said about Groot because I wanted to know if you had heard what that like last line is before he's dusted, if you had read about that. Isn't he calling out father? He's calling dad. Yeah, and that makes that... it like so much worse. Yeah, the moment I heard that, that like that after the fact, I started crying. Like I wasn't even in the <laughs> theaters and I just knew that that's what it was. And I was like, oh, damn, that's that's rough. Yep. I didn't know that. <laughs> I'm experiencing all the emotions of that at this moment. And it's a little bit of a mess for me. Yeah. Oh my God. Right? It hurts. <laughs> it wow. does. Yep. Whew. And it was to rock it. And yeah. I think that really shows because Rocket has a very interesting storyline um, that's very different than Nebula because Nebula's storyline is different because she's playing the old and new Nebula. Mm-hmm. But Rocket has the storyline of that he's lost everything and he's never been so motivated in his life to get it all back. And I think that was such a change for Rocket because that's not a Rocket we'd really seen up to that point. You know, Rocket was kind of like this very lone wolf. I'm stuck with the Guardians and I guess they're okay, but I should be the leader. He wasn't now, really he wasn't a hero before, right? We talked about that earlier. He mm-hmm. he was had still had some selfish motivations and he's, you know, mm-hmm. now they're gone. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you guys think about the, their storylines? It's been a while. I'm gonna be it's honest okay. and say it's it's been a while. I haven't I have watched to... Endgame in a minute. Yeah, I'm trying it's to okay. get back. So Nebula has the roles of playing old Nebula, new new mm-hmm. Nebula, and old Nebula takes over new Nebula and betrays them and then nebula gets a new relationship with her old sister and they kind of save the world by killing her old her her old self sorry that's really confusing when you start to think about it (laughs) and rocket went with thor and was kind of playing therapist to thor about like we've all lost something and we have the chance to get it back so like suck it up and like let's do what we can because you're not the only one suffering here um which to me they're both very impactful for different ways, but I think Rockets hit me a little bit harder because um, Nebula was interesting because you got the two dynamics of the two different kinds, but you part of her was just going back to being the the old bad guy where Rocket was brand new from what we had seen him. So, um, I liked in this movie, and this is not so much a storyline, but I liked um, I liked seeing Rocket as an avenger because i think he was an avenger in this movie not just the guardian right he was he was on that little display with mm-hmm. um with captain marvel or not with captain marvel with um black with widow. the black widow yeah checking in on and all the things across the 
the galaxy and I liked how this mess if he was a vant man because I just thought that was kind of funny um mm. I think that I think that the old and new nebula storyline was really effective and I think um it it shows like how much the fact that they had trusted her shows how much her character had grown that they they like wouldn't even think that um, there would be a situation where she could betray them. And I think that's kind of a nice moment showing her growth, um, even though she betrays them because she's the old Nebula. So I, I liked that as well. Um, I also liked that it wasn't insta-love for the new Gamora, or the past Gamora and, you know, the, mm -hmm. the new, um, not the new, the, the regular Peter, because Gamora and Peter had to earn that love, had to earn that relationship. And the, the old Gamora and Peter don't have that. And she's rightfully like, he's, he's creepy as hell, you know, get away from me. Um, and I think that gives a lot of moments for Peter to like suffer. And, it, you know, it's no fun to see characters happy. It's always fun to see characters suffer. So I, I like that. Oh, that's fair. Do you, how do you think then the, the rejection of the team and of Peter is going to affect volume three? That's a good question, but I'm going to let Red answer, you know, the other question first. Remind me what the question is. <laughs> um, we kind of talked about it, just about Rocket and Nebula's story and just what our thoughts were and which one hit with us. Um, I know it was a long time ago, you know, Endgame was ooh, 2019, four years ago. Pre-pandemic um, times. It was a different time. Um. But well, let me ask you this. How do you think a more rejecting the team is going to affect volume three? <laughs> Throwing you under the bus. I think it'll inspire them further on because okay. one way or another, she's going to find out what she previously did. I mean, that mm -hmm. exists. The fact that there is nowhere there, that'll be a good one for them to talk about. Someone's going to recognize her is what I'm thinking. They're going to be like, Hey, weren't you part of the group that did the thing that helped us and, and move forward and everything? What I'm interested to know is how she's going to react when she finds out that her other version got killed. Because I don't, I'm not sure if that ever got touched upon. Like, as far as she knows, she's Gamora. It's not like she was looking around for another Gamora. You know, Nebula had the self cross mm -hmm. whatever, but that didn't happen with Gamora because there wasn't one. So I, I'm curious to know how she felt about it. And, and my thoughts is maybe her finding out about the sacrifice she made, the thing she told Peter about taking her out in case that she got captured mm -hmm. might help. I, I think it won't be as bad as we think. Okay. I want to see, so as far as I'm concerned, the, the relationship between Peter and Gamora can be done. I, I, I was excited to see that little tease in the trailer for maybe um, a Gamora and Peter relationship because it seems very messy and very fun. So I hope it happens. Um, it, it just feels very complicated and like it could be great, especially if Gamora realizes that um, if, if the old, the old Gamora realized, or I'm sorry, the new Gamora like suddenly has feelings for Peter. I just, I like a good love triangle. <laughs> I do. I would say I'm okay with Peter and Gamora being done too. We can move past that. I feel like, especially with what's going to happen, potentially with this being the the final goodbye, as it keeps saying on the trailers, that maybe we don't need them to fall in love again. Um, 
Okay. So at the end of Endgame, the team is joined by Thor, and then they fly off to Thor Love and Thunder. And this one is interesting in the fact that the, the team, in my opinion, looked very rough, especially Chris Pratt. He looked like he had not slept all year. <laughs> um, did the Guardians and Love and Thunder make sense to you? Did you like it? I did not. I thought it was a very, uh, if again, I think maybe I look as you pointed this out that it wasn't written by James mm-hmm. Gunn. It was Taika. Okay. It didn't, it didn't feel right. It didn't feel right to me, but what are we thinking? I could have done without them in the movie. I think there's a way to have written it just without them totally. And the movie would have maybe even been better, even though they weren't in it for that long. Fair. <laughs> I did not care for them in that movie. And it wasn't a consequence of their own, but let me preface this. And y'all know this. I did not like Thor Love and Thunder. I watched it twice. That was yep. more than enough times to watch it. Not even the fact that, oh, the Guardians are in this makes me want to watch it again. I, I just don't, I don't care. I do not care at all. And it's Am I a... glad to see them briefly? Sure. But if they were without it, it would have done a little less damage to how I feel about them. Do you feel like this movie, tam- like how they appear, their roughness, all of this um, kind of dampened your excitement for them in the holiday special? Like, did it make you less hyped for them? No, no. The only thing was like, yes, I was happy to see the Guardians again because they're like, you know, probably one of my favorites. But it was like, if they had not been in it, I wouldn't have been upset at all. Like, the only takeaway from that movie and then them that I really enjoyed was that it set up the play for the future movie of, you know, how he re like that scene where he's talking about how much he cares about them and Thor gets in the way and everything. I hate that that got played for a joke because you could tell how much from the heart Peter was speaking and the way he was looking at them was like a look I hadn't seen from Peter since he'd seen his mom or when Yondu passed away. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's totally fair. They didn't really fit this film. I think the film would have been better with them out of it. But it wasn't too terribly long before we got Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special, which was really a, a Mantis Drax story uh, more so than anything else. And I would even argue that this is Mantis's story. Oh yeah. Um, she was the main character. Emotional arc. I already thought that they were her and. Uh, Peter were known to be related. I apparently had forgotten that the deleted scene was from, it was a deleted scene. I was like, that oh. was in the second film. I, I knew that before it ever happened. My family was all confused. And I was like, why are we confused? We knew this people. Um, <laughs> as the first holiday special, besides the Halloween one, um, was it a smart move to feature the Guardians of the Galaxy? I think it was. I think it's good because it wet my appetite. Like I said, I wasn't happy with the whole Thor Love and Thunder, mm-hmm. but when I watched the holiday special, I'm like, this, these are the guardians that I love. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's heart and it's comedy. And mm-hmm. this one did it. And and bringing them back to Earth was a very interesting choice of how they did that. Um, the motivation behind it. Again, heart. They weren't doing it to do something stupid. They wanted to go and do something very thoughtful for Peter mm-hmm. because they could see how sad he was. Like, not only did they acknowledge and observe that he had issues, they were already acting upon it. Mm-hmm. And that just, that's family. That's family. Ag- agreed. Yeah. 
I think this move or the holiday special made me so much more excited for volume three. Um, it it's everything that I love about the guardians of the galaxy. And, you know, I think just from the songs to the choices they made, just, it was really cool and really fun. And just really, Shout really out old 97s. Was that the band? They're from uh, Texas. Oh, see, I wanted to look them up and I just kept forgetting, but they were freaking phenomenal. Um, and, you know, Red, you'll, I, mean, I don't know if you got this vibe at all, but the, like the place where they all were at, at the mo- start of the movie and that was decorated for Christmas, I'm forgetting what it was, but it gave nowhere. me like, nowhere, nowhere, yeah, was, nowhere. It gave yeah. me Megaton vibes. Um, yes. And Absolutely. I just felt like, yeah. And that's from fallout. I'm just like, wow, this is, this is cool. Um, so I really loved that. Um, I, I don't have enough words to describe how much I loved the holiday special. I actually just watched this the other night. I wasn't quite ready to go to bed, but I wasn't ready for like a full movie. So I was like, I'm going to just turn on guardians of the galaxy holiday special. It still holds up, even though it's a Christmas mm-hmm. like film, I could watch a Christmas special. I could watch this all year. And I think it's made me very excited as well for volume three, because it really get once again, put family at the center of this. Um, where in Thor love and thunder, it just felt like they couldn't wait to get rid of Thor too fast. And it didn't feel, they didn't feel right. This put them front and center. And I was like, Oh, this is the guardians team. This is what I've been missing. Even without Gamora, it felt good. Yeah. Um, that feeling good. I think is, is the, is like, it's the best outcome from it. Right. It, it just was amazing. Which I can't think of a single Guardians film that I didn't leave feeling good. Even with the Andu's death, I should. That's the sound of really, <laughs> really rude for a second there. I felt good about that. Um, so next, of course, is Volume Three. What do we think is going to happen in this film? What would you like to see? What are you feeling nervous about? What is it? What is Guardians of the Galaxy Three have in store for you? Maybe on a personal level, but also what are we hoping that it's going to impact MCU? I just want to know your thoughts on the general idea of Volume Three. I'm excited to see Adam Warlock very much so. Yeah, open up that thread in the second movie. Of course, if this, you know, I shall call him Adam, and, and it's good to see that it's actually happening. Adam Warlock is a pretty huge character in the comics. I mean, if you go back and read the Infinity War, he's a big player in how they succeeded against Thanos. I know a lot of people were very upset that we didn't get him before Infinity War, and they were wondering how all this is going to work. But I'm actually happy he didn't show up. It would have been kind of too sudden, too mm-hmm. soon. If he would have just shown up, been the big player and, 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 and won the thing. As we all know, the big emotional impact was at the end of the day that Tony Stark, the person who wouldn't make the personal play, was the one who did and saved the universe. So knowing that we're going to finally see what the Adam Warlock's about, um, get dive into Rocket's history, because as he said, what, in the first movie, there's no thing like me except me. Well, Yes and no. (laughs) Yes, you're probably the only rocket raccoon, but you're not the only one that got um, experimented on. I'm very, I'm so excited to meet Lila because I want to see what her and Rocket went through. I want to see what she's been up to and where she's at now. I'm I'm excited about this movie because of what you just mentioned. I can't wait to see Counter Earth because from the trailers and from what we at the Cosmic Circus um, translated and you should go check out I think Vin's post about it um it looks really cool and trippy and I love bizarro world type things and it feels very bizarro world with all the anthropomorphized animals walking around like rocket 
Um, I also am excited. I'm excited and a little bit sad because there's been a lot of hinting around that a main character would die in this um, in this iteration of Guardians, and I kind of want to see that happen. Um, and I want to see who it's going to be. I have theories, but yeah. I have to say that there's a you hit the head on the nail of what I'm so excited about Isla. We spent so much time decoding all those pictures and coming up with (laughs) like breaking down the language. I remember that week. And we actually have two posts. Yeah. We we have one by Vin and one that I wrote and deciphering different pictures. And we were like clue masters. And so for, (laughs) I feel like that was so exciting that like it could not top almost anything else in this film. Just be like, we got most of those letters. (laughs) It also feels like such a long time ago at this point, you uh, know. It's... Well, yeah, it was almost a year ago. I But the, the Counter-Earth is going to be really, really fun. Um, I like that we're finally getting some more of the personal stories of these other characters. But like, I feel like at this point, almost everybody's backstories have been touched on in some capacity. So for us to finally get Rockets is only a, a uh, matter of time. I'm glad we didn't do it. Um, so we do have a question from one of our listeners, Futters11 from our Discord, asked if we can play a quick version of Die, Survives, or Leaves. Um, I'm going to just leave this open. I'm not going to give you three people to choose like we usually do. Um, who wants to go first? If no one wants to go first, I will go first. But um, all right, Anthony. Okay. Dies, Drax, Survives, Mantis, Leaves. Peter. Okay. Is is it just Mantis surviving or, or are they all of us surviving? I'm sure most of them surviving, but okay. I, 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 the reason why my thinking behind it is because they had us so enamored with her and her relationship to Peter in the, the holiday, you know, episode mm-hmm. that they could always do that thing where, oh, okay, we're going to really get you in this character and then we're going to kill him, you know, because that happens in media a lot. Like, mm-hmm. think of any sad movie where the wife and you know they always show that montage of her doing things and then guess what she's dead like i feel like we were almost getting primed for that to happen with mantis like oh she's not just some random chick she's literally related to the main guy of the group don't do this to me don't do this to me kevin Pye. <laughs> he would never no <laughs> hopefully not uh, right, uh die survives is- or leaves this is hard and I think I hate this, <laughs> but I think I would like Gamora to die. Um, and again? Pro- again, and just Dang. like ha- have the death be meaningful and, and count and stick, even though I love the actress, like if she, you know, if the character's gone, have her be dead. Um, I guess I want Drax to survive because I, I like Dave Batista, and I would like to see the character evolve and grow because um, I don't think he's had a lot of opportunity to do that. I'd like to see like an arc for him. Um, what was it? Die survives and leaves. Leaves and hmm. I would be okay with Rocket leaving, I guess. Okay. And and going to stay as the ruler of Counter Earth. I have to agree with you, Anthony. I think Drax is dead. I think that like they put too much stock in the fact that he is dead. I think that the rumors bounced there for too long for it not to be 
Drax. That man, Dave Batista has wanted to leave for a while. He does not want to yeah. be in re- makeup yeah. anymore. Well, there's he for- got the- Go ahead. There's foreshadowing too in the holiday special, right? I think mm-hmm. Drax's character says that he hates when when someone doesn't die or something like that in the movie. I don't remember the exact lines, but I felt when I heard them, like, yep, he's gone. That's and he had one last meaningful journey with Mantis, and now this. I think that it could, you could easily see him leave. I I think the sh- bigger shock would be if nobody dies because everybody, yeah. someone's died in every film so far. Yep. Um. So I think that's my 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 shocking survive would be if they all make it out. And I think that with my leaves, I think there is a there's a two part. I think that Peter leaves, and I would love for Gamora to come back and actually be like his replacement, not of his mm. team leader, but like of the more humanoid fighter. Hmm. Mm, okay. Where does Peter go? Um that's back a great question. Back home. Um so we have a few more questions. I'm gonna jump around because I want to get some of the really good ones. Um, so Burgess from our Discord says, What other obscure Marvel characters or teams could become a household name in the hands of the right I, creator? I put creatures, sorry about that. Um and right off the bat, the two that came to mind for me were A-Force, which I hopefully more people know about, but I feel like a lot of people don't. And the Annihilators, which is another cosmic team that, that run along the Gardens of the Galaxy, tends to have like Silver Surfer in it and Adam Warlock and um, Starhawk or Starhawk, I think is his name. Yeah. And one of the Thors, I think it's Beta, uh, Beta Ray Bill. Uh, even Drax is on this team and he tends to have a, a human girl that he brings with him as like a surrogate daughter um those are two i think that in the right hands could become uh household names what about you guys i, I apologize but i don't actually have an answer to this one i don't know obscure ones enough to say i would like to see this so i'll have to pass sorry i guess i guess that this is not really obscure because i feel like people know about him but i would like to see howard the duck and i think that howard the duck <laughs> could be you know catapulted to um mcu superhero dumb mm-hmm. um after especially after that post-credit scene i just think it's howard the duck's time you know howard the game a little love and what if so i mean i don't see True. why he couldn't yeah um so two more questions one is the one that i've been saving for last because anthony is a resident music guy but real quick do you see a new group of guardians for a future film this is from crooked letter 90 absolutely i think this film sets it up i think there's going to be guardians they're not going to be the same they've been saying that since day one and they haven't been quiet about it james gunn has said since coming back for this film after being let go this iteration is going to change so i think we're gonna get a new team but what do you two think absolutely i think Mm -hmm. one of the beautiful things is that you don't have to stay with the static team look at the avengers they're they're Mm -hmm. quite different from what the team we started off with 10 years ago 11 years ago christ um, so I'm excited to see who ends up on it. I mean, we, we've got Adam Warlock and Lila on the way. I'd love to see either one of them join. I've, I haven't seen much of them, but we know Adam Warlock is a force to be reckoned with. So, yeah, I Ooh. think we do. I, I think we are going to see new Guardians, and I don't know if I will care about them as much as I do the old Guardians, which... I don't know. So yeah, I don't know who would be on the team. I, I don't know if we've met them yet. Um, mm-hmm. Or like like you guys mentioned, we'll meet them in this movie. So yeah, I definitely think there will be new ones, another team. Okay. 
And the final question, and this one is from both Vic and Joe Marvel from our Discord. And Vic, of course, we've had on the show before. And Isla, I hope you're okay. I'm going to let our resident music guy answer this one first. Um, what is your favorite songs from the soundtrack? Um, Joe asked, what were your favorite two? So you give me one or two of your favorite songs from the soundtracks and hit me with them. Okay. There was another question we got, and it, it does include music. So I'm going to answer that, and then I'm going to answer your question. One of them was, what is our favorite scene? And in the first movie, it's the pina colada scene where Peter goes back and gets his Walkman. I have been mm-hmm. that guy that will risk life and limb to go and get my music. I've done it. Long story, but I almost got ran over by a car one time. <laughs> I'm still here, clearly. But to answer the question, first movie, favorite song, Ain't No Mountain High Enough. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was so well played. One. And I mean, there's so many good ones, but like the timing, the beginning of the movie and, and seeing not just the successes, but what the implications was were of the guardian succeeding when you see um i can't remember his character's name um oh my god no don't blank out now um what's his face describe uh, him describe him uh he's he's part of the the nova Corps, christ um uh, oh john c Riley's character thank you john c Riley's character but seeing because you're wondering why is this dude so like hell-bent on it but when you see him go back to his family that would have been annihilated part of it and the music just made the emotional impact so much stronger. And then the second one, bring it on home to me. The whole scene, and, and I talked about this earlier when I was mentioning how Peter was saying that he finally found this family. Right before that, he had been having a little dance with Gomorrah to this song. And he goes, this is a song by one of the best voices of all time on planet Earth. And God damn it, he was so correct. <laughs> that was a talent. I love Sam Cooke. I love that you pulled out you for those who couldn't see it. Not only did Anthony get very excited, he pulled out his notebook and started mm-hmm. waving it around. And it was probably the best part of this whole podcast. So thank you for that, Anthony. Um, thank you for asking. Cause I had to say it. Isla, what, what um, are your choices? I, so I think it's interesting too, that like, you know, mountain high enough is, um, is one of your favorites. Cause for me, like it's, it's tied to the movie. Remember the Titans. And I can't like escape that um, that connection. So I, I really liked it in Guardians, but I, like it's just permanently part of Remember the Titans mm-hmm. that soundtrack in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, I so I have two songs, and one I really like, Hooked on a Feeling. Um, you know, I've I had you know I have the CD in my car. I've listened to that so many times. I listened to that with my daughter so many times. So I really love that. Um, and I also really like the Pina Colada song. So that's, I agree with you on that. That's fantastic. I have a very strong reason to why Pina Colada is, is so reminiscent to me. Similar to Peter, my mom is a strong influence in my music choices. And when we would always go on spring break to Costa Rica, we had this one CD inside of our RAV4, Pina Colada song was always on it. And every mm. time it came on, everybody in the car would sing it together. So for me, it's a fond memory. And then to see him fight over to go through the effort to get it because of how much I'm into him. I'm like, I am Peter, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. remind me later to send you a version of the escape from the Manchester orchestra, because it is the most haunting version of that song you'll ever hear. And it is my top film, like my, one of my top songs ever. Ooh. Um, so I actually had a really hard time picking just two. So I have a few and two of them you named 
Escape, the Pina Colada song, Ain't No Mountain High Enough, fantastic. But I feel like one that's really used well and uh, and underrated is Fooled Around and Fell in Love, the first film. That Mm -hmm. one just, it slays me every time. It's just such a perfect example of how they use music so well. Um, The other one, though, uh, besides the the three I just mentioned, was not from any of the first two volumes, but it was from Infinity War. And yes. it was the song they're singing. Rubber, rubber band, band man. Yes. Um, and I love this scene because it's just so quintessential guardians flying, having a good time. They're just doing their thing. I just thought that that was like a really great moment. Um, and it always sticks out to me. And I always sing that song. Um, except I always sing it, the rambling man for some reason, because I don't actually know some of the words, but um, I feel like that one just sticks out as a really good Guardian song. Can we do an honorable mention to for Here It Is Christmas Time from the old 97s? Because that was amazing. Of course. Shout out to the 97s. The old 97s? Old 97s. Yeah, no, I'm glad they got them in full makeup and everything to do that. Um, <laughs> can, do we have time for one more question? We have time for one it's, more it's question. For, it's from me to y'all. Ooh. what's what's one of your favorite quotes from guardians i have so many but one that i'll throw out there and it's like a toss-up but one of them is we're the freaking guardians of the galaxy <laughs> except he didn't say freaking that mm-hmm. one always gets me and then the other one is and you almost mentioned it brian um when you mentioned the fooled around and fell in love that's when gomorrah says to me i'm not some starry-eyed wave but you know that's going to fall for your pelvic sorcery. When I heard those words, I was stunned. My jaw was here. And I'm like, I got to use that somehow. Um, that's a great question. Mm-hmm. I think one that always stuck out to me, and I think it's from the first film. And I, if, if one of our listeners can correct me if it's not, but it's where like Drax mm-hmm. is just like, he's like wanting to say how thankful he is for everybody and of like how thankful he's for being friends. And he's like, Quill, you're my friend. And then he was like, this dumb tree is also my friend. <laughs> and then he refers to Gamora as a green, we'll bleep that word out. And it was just like such a, like a, I loved it. It was funny. I still laugh at it. Um, and I think that the, the scene where um, Groot and um, Rocket are talking themselves through the buttons and he's just i am groot and then he's like yes and you don't hit this button i feel like that was just one of the top lines i think i my nephew and i quoted that one for years so it has to be up there i'm gonna go with the easy way out and say i, am I know what groot. you're gonna say my, i knew it my favorite quote because i'm terrible with movie quotes but also because it conveys so much and it it, it has done so much in the movies i have an honorable mention from guardians of the galaxy volume two Okay. I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. <laughs> Is Mary Poppins cool? Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. Just that af- affirmation from, from Peter to Yondu was great. There was one from the holiday special that me and my sister quoted all of the time. And now it's going to haunt me. Um... Ugh, I can't think of it. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna think about this all night. I'm gonna have to rewatch it. Um, oh, I think it was. Um, no, is Damn. it the one about dancing? 
You and saved the, the town with dancing, and once Pete saved a whole galaxy with dancing. No, it was when Mantis give like the car flips over and she gives her candy cane. Um, it's like we're even now, or something like that, or yeah, and oh, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna haunt me now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna text you guys later. Um, <laughs> but we are unfortunately running out of time. No, we're, fa- we're way over time. I'm so sorry, Lizzie. Um, unfortunately, so. <laughs> We love to continue the conversation. So please check us out at thecosmiccircus.com or you can find us on Twitter or other social medias at My Cosmic Circus. And of course, our Cosmic Circus podcast Twitter at Cosmic Podcasts. Thank you again for tuning into the Cosmic Circle. My name is Brian Kitson and you can find me on Twitter at Kitson301. Um, thank you so much for joining me, Anthony and Isla. Before we go, uh, where can people find you? And maybe even plug what you're working on for the site. <laughs> I'm Anthony Flagg. You can find me at at Radova underscore. Um, Lizzie, don't don't torture me, but I'm not working on anything right now. <laughs> uh oh, no. Isla, where, where can they find you? I'm Isla Ruby. You can find me on Twitter at T U L I N Writes. Um, I'm working on something cool for Daredevil, and I don't know. We're gonna see what we can cook up with some LLC information. Mm-hmm. Ooh, and i think that is the perfect place to stop people <laughs> thank you again can't wait for our next trip throughout the cosmos um we will be having a follow-up for a review of the guardians of the galaxy volume three so look out for that and we got some mando podcasts coming up as well so again we cannot wait to talk again and we can't wait to for you guys to listen take care everybody 